Hello and welcome. My name is Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. In today's episode, Ian and I are joined by Will Kostakis. Will is an award-winning YA writer and his fourth novel, Monuments, has just hit shelves. In the media section, we chat about Star Wars, Fleabag, and Noggin by John Corey Whaley. For the topic, we chat about worthiness in genre and in YA. As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We are back at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and I am joined by my co-host, Ian. Ian, welcome back. Hello. I think it's been a few episodes since you've been on. Yeah. Been Dion a little bit and of a break. Luke have ousted you, I think. Yep. You're they back. Have. Trial by combat. Glad to be here. Fantastic. How's your week been? It's been a great week. Uh, the weather's getting warm. I'm looking forward to touching 40 degrees around here pretty soon. Ooh. And by looking forward to, I mean despising the thought of. Because anything over 25, as a Kiwi, I melt. Yeah, it's true. Um, for, so, I have a husky. That's, that's some news. Oh, wow. But it's been on yep. Twitter. Yep. I didn't realize, and I did some, re- you know, you're a good dog owner. You do research about the breed, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They really hate the heat. Yeah. Right? They, like, don't like the heat at all. Surprising, considering their thin coat. Mm. Yeah. And <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that. It's all right. Um, Siberian Husky doesn't, you know. Doesn't Siberian lend Husky itself. doesn't love the heat of Victoria. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that means, like, cooling mats. I had to buy, like, a kid's pool and stuff like that yep. for the dog. It's got its own walk-in freezer. The whole works. I know. Right now, the doghouse is better than where I live. Mm. So, yeah, it's crazy. So, saying in the doghouse is actually a good thing in this case. Yes. Hmm. There you go. You can take it how you wish, Ian. Uh, speaking of, hello. Welcome to the podcast. We have a guest. Will. Welcome hey. back. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hello, one fan of mine. Yeah. How are you? Are you well? How you going, Steve? Good to, good to have <laughs> you with Steve us. Steve is my dad. He's not my fan. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't pay child support. Oh, already. Hi, Steve. And it started. Hello, Will. It's been one and a half episodes since we've had you back. So oh, no. this has been a revelation. No one knows that there's been a lost tapes of the morning bell. Yep. It's a single tape. Yep. And it's got Will's name on it. And it got oh. deleted somewhere. But it, was it was great. A kid was heckling me the entire way. I remember that. That was at That's Somerset. True. That's yeah. true. I was there. It was true. Yeah, that, that heckling is lost to the ages. I know. The universe didn't want that heckling to come out, Will. <sighs> yeah, I know. Clearly. Preserving my reputation it's can't true. be taken down by an 11-year-old on a beanbag. <laughs> it's hard to take down <laughs> something like that. That's true. But he was engaged. So. He was. It was great. Yeah. And it was like his burns were like he'd been listening to me and then would just, just eviscerate me. It was <laughs> yeah. really great. It was good. I remember that episode we just ended up I had some topic prepared. We were talking about The Last Jedi. And then we ended up just talking about The Last Jedi yeah, for that's about right. an hour. Oh, that's right, we did. Yes. Are you excited um, for Rise of Skywalker? I am, actually. I want to see how J.J. Abrams completely Can't, like neuters all the yeah, stuff. Yeah. See, that I don't think he will, but... He you don't can't, think so? He, look, he can't manage an ending to save his life. Like, he <laughs> starts a TV show and then's like, I've done it, rah, and then yeah, runs away. Yeah. That's why he was a great person to start it, because he does great well, TV Well, he's like pilots. George Lucas. He mm. does a great pilot and then runs. Yeah. Um, so, look... I would love to see what he's doing. It's really worrying that Colin Trevorrow has a script credit. He has a story credit. On Do you the not new like one. him? Oh, God, no. Jurassic World was atrocious. I kind of didn't mind it. Jurassic World is really bad. I you can tell it was like a five-hour movie that they mm-hmm. cut down. Mm-hmm. because There's there definitely are, stuff. There are all these character threads that are just really odd and the kid yeah. crying like mm-hmm. on the monorail because his parents are getting divorced and it never being mentioned yeah. ever again. And yeah. it was just like, oh, I bet you there's like a subplot where you're looking at the parents back home reacting to everything happening and it yes. bringing them together or something naff like that. Wait, remind me again. Jurassic World, is that the... S- 
the first the first new one. Oh yeah, I didn't like that one. I yeah. liked the sequel to that. You were the only person in the world that liked I know. Fallen Kingdom. I liked right. Kingdom. I didn't even bother. I can't really? Even, you know what? I, it was That's the one where they strapped lasers to them and were like, the dinosaurs no, are weapons see, now. See, the thing I liked about that, I'm going to interrupt you, Ian, because I, need to, mm, I need to pitch this to you. The world needs you, to hear this. Is that I thought it was better because they brought the scope down a lot. Mm. It was more horror-y rather than big scale stuff, right? Yeah. Instead of the dinosaurs getting bigger, yeah. it was more about like, well, how does it affect people? Yeah. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I was always mad that they set up all like the sponsored content of like, this is the Hilton on the island. Yeah. And that, why set it up? If you're going to do SponCon, do it properly. I want to see the dinosaurs mm. running through the Hilton. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I because want the Hilton to. reps obviously were like, well, this building can't get damaged yeah. during that. You know. <laughs> so, it's true. Yeah. It's the uh, yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. I, I didn't actually see the most recent. I haven't seen Fallen Kingdom. That means um, you can have an opinion as a YouTube commentator. So go oh. for it. Wow. Just, that's true. <laughs> just set up your video and right just now. be like, yeah. yeah <laughs> set up a bad webcam. Uh, edit the video so that you get like the social five justice seconds. warriors are ruining Jurassic yeah. World. Stop Here is vid- my eight-part video showing yeah. you why this based one. on the trailer. <laughs> yeah, on the extended trailer. Now the extended trailers have got all the material that I've had to add filters over the top of, so I don't get a takedown request from Warner Brothers or slow down the speech, the one point five speech. Um, No, but look, I I love the books. uh, So, and and I love the books in the original movies and Jurassic World, uh, Jurassic Park, should I say? Jurassic World was just. I was just impressed by the amount of running and heels that Jessica Chastain could do so fast. Um, That was the only thing that stuck out to me. The skill and the fact that I've forgotten about the monorail and the crying and stuff shows you the fact that I moved on pretty quickly. Mm. Um, I am interested in the new Star Wars. I have heard, and I haven't seen The Mandalorian yet, but mm. I've heard that, that it's good. I've Episode one is very good. I think I know what the twist is. Right. Like, if there's going then. to be a twist. Is but it I think a Space Western? I've heard Space Western vibe. Well, that's, that's but great. everything is... Everything's but Star it's more Wars-y. westerny. It's right? more westerny. Some of the some of the dialogue is a bit naff, and it's like oh, yeah. okay, like all the Star Wars extended universe stuff. Everyone's like, oh, the canon was so good before they got rid mm. of it. It's like oh, uh, yeah. oh, like it sometimes up and down. Sometimes it was it gold. There are some really interesting scenes, and I mm. thought the construction of this is really great. Yeah. There are some moments where you're like, this is really filmic, and there are some moments where you're like, this is TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, yeah it actually yeah. kind of sums up, and in a way, I think you sum up a lot of what people expect these days with um with good with good content is that mm. you've got a standard of yeah. the, the film standard, TV standard, no longer kind of applies, and people are expecting more. And I think that's that's quite mm. brilliant with that. I have no idea how the Star Wars uh, how Star Wars is going to wrap up, but I am just along for the ride. So, yeah. yay. Sorry, I did that again. We were talking about something you, else. You literally and I just did that again. Yelling, so this episode Star will inevitably Wars. be deleted. But, you know, <laughs> the YouTubers will come for us. That's Since right. we've already moved into the media section, <laughs> mm. um, tell us what you've been watching, reading, uh, uh, theatre. I theater, just whatever. finished reading Noggin by John Corey Whaley. Mm-hmm. I read it after completing John Corey Whaley's prince-winning novel, Where Things Come Back, which mm-hmm. is, I read it at the worst possible time you should read something as a writer, which is as I was editing my own work. So I had oh. that really horrible voice in my head that was picking out all the flaws of everything. Uh, and so I started reading Where Things Come Back going, oh, I don't know why you're doing this, like yeah, to yeah, all yeah. his choices. Yep. But then as I... By the time I got to the end, I was flawed, crying, just like, what the hell have you done to me? Noggin is a sensational premise. It deals with, both books deal with loss and they work really well as companions. But mm. while Where Things Come Back have this has this sort of timeless feel to it, mm. Noggin 
not so much feels a lot more contemporary. Mm. This kid has cancer in his body, but his head's okay. So they chop off his head, cryogenically freeze him for five years, and he gets a donor body, and he's the second person in the world to have a body transplant. Mm. But he comes back into the world five years later. He's 16. All his friends are 21 and have moved on, but they all have sort of hit pause on their life while he's been gone. Mm. And it deals with, as someone who lost a close friend in Mm. high school, you look it looks at grief in a really powerful way. Mm. And but it does it through sort of that transplant sure, and coming yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. So it's like someone's been resurrected. Yeah. Sort of really beautiful, well done, wonderful ending. It's the only book that I've read recently that has an epilogue that is necessary. Mm. Like I turned the page and saw the word epilogue and I was like, yeah. what have you done? Yeah. And then it was it was great. Brilliant. Yeah. Really great button on the story. Uh, and in terms of visual mediums, I Saw the first three episodes of Fleabag on TV. Oh, yeah, I haven't got Loved it, yet. Yeah, really. but then I paused it and I saw the taping of the stage show. Right. Oh, they played yeah, at the yeah, theater, yeah, yeah. How'd you find it? I think the stage right. show does some things better and the TV show does other things okay. better. The stage show is darker uh-huh. and ties oh. together as a whole really, really well. Mm. Like, I think as a one hour and ten minute piece of entertainment it's better than a series of a tv show mm. but the things that they added to the tv show were really worthwhile okay. right okay but that's, that's then i started the second season last mm. week the first episode it feels more like a tv show than the first season did because mm. you can tell they've broken free of the sort of yeah, rails of yeah. the play and she's doing things with sort of the way that the script bounces sure mm. It's less measured. It's more like we are frantic. This is a TV series. Uh, this is the stuff we can do with random cuts yeah. that you didn't. They weren't really doing yep. in the first season as much. Mm. So Phoebe Waller-Bridge, she yeah. won the award for which season? She won everything for season two. Yeah. Season two. So three years between them. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. It's quite a while. Yeah. So it started off. I think 2013 was the stage show. Okay. Mm. Yep. Then a few years later, they did the TV show. Yep. Then they paused and they've come back. But still enjoyed season two then. I've only seen the first episode. Okay, it is, right. There's a different energy to it, but mm. it's the same sort of sharp writing, sharp characterization. So, mm. look, if yeah. you love season one, so far season two hasn't disappointed me. Okay. And I, it won't. It's, it's it good. Won't. I, it's I mean, good. I hope it won't. It, from my yeah. perspective, I, I love season two. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's great finding something so refreshing. I think that's the, that's the thing. And, you know, when, when someone wins, I, I always enjoy an award season going back and trying to find the people who've won these, you know, won yeah. these awards and figure out sure. yeah. what it's for. And you can see it. It's written all over this, you know, why she won. It's just, it's incredible. And, it, and I'm not wrong in saying she uh, is lead writer on um, uh, Villanelle and Co. Uh, Killing Eve. I yes. Believe. So yep. she was, she. Oh, really? I think my understanding yeah. is showrunner for first season Excellent. and then stepped away to do this. Huh. And her vision is for different writers. I was just told this by someone else. So if yeah, it's yeah, wrong, yeah. blame mm. them. Yep. Um, and I'll give you their Twitter handle. <laughs> but apparently, different showrunners for every year of it, and to give a new rising female writer a chance to showrun, which is nice. And if that's exactly what she's doing, then wonderful. Um, she mm. is also she punched up the new Bond script. Ah, mm. yes. So I'm I very excited to see what she does with it. And after the abysmal failure, that was the previous film. Oh, be that was. To see. Oh, I, yeah, it was what, what very was the previous bad. one. I'm trying to remember. Spectre. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, it was yeah, Spectre. I yeah, yeah. That was. Ooh. Oh wait, no, I remember. With, I, I, I mouth or whatever. 
Blowhole, whatever his name is. Why didn't the YouTubers <laughs> hate on that film? That was terrible. <laughs> that, Joel, because they don't yeah. actually critically look at stuff, and this is something I'm I sure mean, we will to, talk about. Yeah. Mm. It is more about what's going to get me clicks in the algorithm. It's Hating true, actually, James yeah. Bond, that's not going to get you clicks. Yeah. James Bond having a female counterpart that is his equal that's and him true. being respectful to her, You're right. that will get critiques. You're right. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Helping writing it, a women's women should be nowhere yeah, near yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That will mm. get the clicks. Anything they can put SJW into the title of a video, yeah. asterisk social justice warrior for those it that will, don't know what it yeah. means. That's it's that anger and it is weaponized anger. Like I saw it when I watched the Rise of Skywalker trailer. I watched yeah. it mm. fifty times in one day. Yep. My YouTube feed was just porgs uh, are bad. They were just there to sell. <laughs> and it's like no, like people who don't understand, you know the story why the porgs are there, right? Yeah. It's yeah. because they, they had get rid of the puffins. Yeah, yep. they couldn't get rid of the puffins. Yep. They were screaming the whole time they were shooting. So they added. So they them were like, let's yep. add. And they were cute, yes, mm. but they were endearing and mm. lovely. Yeah. And yeah, it's just it's a it's a thing that I think will just keep happening for a bit, and I think that's specifically because the medium is so ripe for this kind of weird critique, like YouTube specifically. And I think it's yeah, there are the algorithms that are governing yeah, exactly. our world now, yeah, yeah. and we don't have you know the book club on the ABC. We don't Man. have yeah. David and Margaret at the movies. We don't have big media sort of corporations we don't have pages in newspapers anymore dedicated to books like we used to we have like two or three pages in the age or yeah. the Sydney Morning Herald when we used to have several yeah, yeah. and you know there because is that's this curated vacuum. media right like mm. we don't have curators anymore yeah. Well, we no, everyone is a curator. Exactly. Yeah, it's the good readers. Not everyone like, necessarily is going to curate. Well, the, the curation is skewed towards what gets you views, what gets yeah. you views. I mean, we've gamified, and are we into the, the topic already? I almost? mean, let's just do we it. Just, like, we've like gamified and then added an algorithm to this gamification. So it's, it's addictive yeah. to get more views and more yeah. likes, and then you're skewing people to get more views and more likes, and then you're skewing people down this rabbit hole, which follows, you know, another outrage. Also, thread. it's a career path. Like, it has yeah. created yeah. career. But you watch, you get, like, it's something that happened to me. Like, I was internet famous for two days after a Catholic school was like, hey, we don't like you because gay. Um, And Mm. that happened and I was like, ooh. And if I could instantly be like, oh, this is the way I was victimized today. And then, like, getting the clicks, you'd just be like, oh, okay. And what's my my thing I've got to get angry about tomorrow? And I caught myself quite early and I had a a really great publisher who pulled me aside and she Mm. was like, Will, just be mindful you don't want this to be all you are. Your brand. And yep. at first I was like, oh, I can't believe she said that about my sexual identity. Yeah. I'm going yeah, to yeah. write an op-ed about <laughs> this. But then I was like, oh, wait, no. Yeah, there it no, is. No, 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 there it is. Mm. And the thing is, we we reward that kind yeah. of behavior online. And yeah, I don't think there's a solution. I'm interested though in the translation of that outrage to actual to, to sales. Because in the end, uh, with the industry the thing that's going to drive action from people is results. And if your yep. results are on sales, if someone's going to get outraged online and it's not actually affecting the sales... You're well, it's okay. like Twitter, it. right? Like, Twitter doesn't sell books, right? Yeah, no. It, you know, that's a... Never sold a book on Twitter. I just... Uh, I, I, but see, I have. Yeah. Through I, the critiquing. Look, look, I've heard some authors say that when I call out... When they call out behavior, mm. they see an uptick in their sales really? the next week. Which I don't 
I'm not sure I believe. Mm. But so maybe um, it's just like a correlation, not necessarily. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, like Twitter is a great place to connect with teacher librarians, yes. to connect yeah, with yes, readers, yeah. and to build a fan base and yeah. to talk I, about. I love content. Twitter for so many reasons, you know. Mm. And I've, I've, I jumped on the outrage. Should train. I unblock you? Um, no, I'm no. not comfortable with that decision. Okay, uh, I, I his content's getting better though. Is it? Yeah, it's getting more no longer you, cat gifts. Do you, do, you, do you keep ripping off other people's content, or is that, or is that well, still? Because that is that is the go. other that is the other internet trend that I hate. Yeah. No. Well, if if you're talking about the content that I've occasionally posted, where I give the link to where it came from straight but away. But do you give the link in a secondary tweet? Nope. You put it in the actual tweet. He's uh, that's better. That's better than most. It's nice to know that you're paying attention to my content. But uh, and <laughs> seriously, it is cat gifts. So why would you? Yeah. Um, but no, look, I I, um, I did make the mistake early on of not crediting someone in a piece of work because they had their handle on the video, and I remember thinking, yeah. oh, that'll be enough. No, that was not enough because mm-hmm. it went more viral than anything else I'd ever done. And I was like, well, that's terrible. And it wasn't yours. And it wasn't yeah. mine. And the guy turns up and he was he was unhappy. And I understand that. I was like, yeah, I understand that. And so that was my lesson learned from there on out. And how did you make it better? I didn't make it much better. I just said, look, sorry, I didn't realize that, um, you know, that was it. And so from now on, I always look to make sure that if the person's on Twitter, I can uh, tag them. Um, and in that case, he was on Instagram. I thought, oh, you know, but yeah, you make sure they're on Twitter. And actually, generally, if they've got the video on Twitter, I'm just going to retweet. retweet the video retweet, and yeah. maybe add a col- comment to it. You can also like copy embed a video and it tells you who made it. It's not hard. And I think Twitter has responded to these kind of issues as well with options. Mm. Um, there's, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that I don't make mistakes now, but I do less of that content these days. And that's and just I simply from and focusing. I think I think Twitter is also weird because people follow people as, we were just talking about curators, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like you follow someone because you know they're going to repost a the certain kind thing, of media. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And I, I always made sure, I realized, actually, there was a moment where I realized that my my online persona there is, and sorry, not to talk about me, but just realizing that people wanted mm-hmm. to see, like, they wanted good vibes. That was basically it. They, they'd followed me for good vibes. Because once I put up this really freaky photo of a spider, I was like, wow, this is incredible. People were like, and someone was like, why did you post that? And I was like, ah, uh, yeah, actually, that's a good point. I kind of You didn't don't. know your brand. Didn't know my brand. And I, I real, it was that one question that someone asked. So they were like, why did you post that? I was like, ah, oh, people don't expect that from me. It just, that was unexpected. And capitalism has done that to all of us. We all need a brand now. Yeah, but, I once accidentally tweeted about politics. Once, like mm. once. And I remember somebody in person was like, Hey, that was an odd tweet. I was like, what? what? Yeah. Well, I, I actually had, I had a reply to Donald Trump. It was a Trump. very innocuous tweet. Well, so I weird. had a reply to Donald Trump that got a million uh, views across like a few replies. Did you feel good? Did you get that little warm buzz like, in your wow. heart? Wow. Well, it was, it was crazy how, how incredibly massive that, that went. But then I realized very quickly that, and this is coming to my original point I was going to make in this whole thing, was that that outrage was incredibly compelling to be a part of. Mm-hmm. But I realized I'm not helping anything by being a part of that outrage. Am I helping the American political discourse, which desperately needs for people to talk to each other? No, I'm not. It's just easy a to hate on tweet. Trump. It's a pithy tweet. It's yeah. a pithy tweet. It's just it's easy to score points on Twitter. It's junk food. It's junk food. It is. Yeah, it's not It's not real dialogue. Which with junk food we will get to in the topic. I'm just really glad this is two for two. I derailed the conversation oh, again. Oh, it's fine. We can... Not with Star Wars, but with yeah. something else. Well, here's a, here's a question, and this will segue back into the media section. Yeah. Mm. I don't think there was a lot of outrage about the Breaking Bad sequel movie, right? It's like... Oh, that I think movie... anyone cared. See, I don't think so either because there was zero buzz about it, but I really enjoyed it. I don't. Oh, I haven't. Have seen you it. not seen the show? No, I've seen the show. I have no interest. Jesse was my least favorite character. Oh, really? so I'm interesting. Like, interesting. Okay. No, I. I. It's. It is what it is. It's just a. It's a wrap up. It's like it. It's an epilogue. It's an epilogue. It's an epilogue. But it. I mean, Vince Gilligan can do anything. Yeah, it's cathartic. Hey, it's. 
you know what? When you when you're just in the movie, it's like it's a it's an airplane movie almost. Yeah. You know when you're there, like oh, I'm gonna watch it's that. There. It's yeah. And I I I love the craft of Vince Gilligan's work anyway. So it's I just love, great to. Yeah. Hmm. He's really good at framing scenes, yeah. and I think I like watching his stuff because he can do that so well. Hmm. And even if the story is sort of a. It mm. didn't need to exist, but I'm glad it did because it was enjoyable. It was like, oh, okay, there's a bit of catharsis at the I, end of the story. I liked the fact as well, because we went back and watched the last episode after that, just right, to okay. you know, flip it back and kind of yeah. see how everything went. Um, and apart from the fact that everyone is obviously younger and, and looking a bit different, um, it's it's interesting. It filled in a couple of gaps that I really appreciated. So, look, I was I was good kind of catching up on um, on that. Yeah. But, Look, the the Breaking Bad series for me is amazing. Have you, Will? Have you watched? Uh, I haven't seen Better Call Saul. No, but okay. So it's interesting that like it, Better Call Saul feels fresher because of how the content is yeah. than um, uh, the Breaking Bad sequel yeah. did. So you know, I have to ask you as well. Uh, thinking about Breaking Bad, did you? If, if Jesse was your least favorite mm-hmm. character, who was the one that kind of grip, gripped you during that show? Um, oh, mental blank. It's not Hank. No, what's his wife's name? Oh, Hank's wife's name. Not oh. Hank's, not Hank's wife. Um, oh, um, yes, Skylar. 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 There we okay. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. And like the internet hate around Skylar was really fascinating. And her, she wrote an op-ed about it. And it was that first yeah. sort of that tos- toxic masculine sort mm, of re- yeah. fan response to something yeah. where they were like, oh, I hate this character. So they were messaging her going, you are a B wow. and all that sort of, and she's like they're not separating that early. the character <laughs> yeah, that's from, early internet yes yeah. yeah wow that's yeah. something else they're not sell- uh, they're not separating the character from the actress and well, it was it's like really Cersei and Cersei like yeah. uh, Lena Headey's character yeah. and yeah so bringing this back the mm. media that you have consumed this oh, yes. week well no the media, the media that I consumed this week was I finished uh, my read through after about a year of pause of Lord of the Rings first book because I decided to leap back into that and I I, I opened up my Kindle and I went leaping oh. into it that's yep. you, you trudge into it well and no I was through it. 85% done you weighed wow <laughs> coming I off the back it, of you don't, speculate you don't, you, don't, yeah, you, don't, yeah, yeah. you don't leap into Tolkien you it's sit true. there yeah. and you trudge it is, but it's, it's a worthy it's trudge it's well, very dense you, yeah. you love it I, it's good. It's good to get back and just to remind yourself of, of some of the, the the stuff that you love about uh, work that you engaged with early. I the reason I got, went through it was I was on eighty five percent done in the book and I was like, well, and it's it's like an hour and twenty to go. I'm like, I've got an hour and twenty yeah. to finish this up and then I can eventually restart on yep. uh, Twin Towers. So that was that was a nice little one. I, I also uh, got started on His Dark Materials, the TV mm. series, which I'm really mm. enjoying. I, I also have. Uh, in parallel, I've been trying to read um, Book of Dust. I've only just started um, book one there. But, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the Golden Compass movie. Did you see the Golden Compass movie, no. Will? I saw the trailer. Okay. I saw the trailer. Fascinating. Have you guys read the first book? one? No. Okay, that's fine. So the first book, the, the interesting thing is that the movie doesn't end the same as the book. And that's the kicker because the book has a brilliant ending. And the movie decided to not do it. Didn't end. <laughs> Yeah, for Hollywood reasons, it decided not to. So I, I you know, and his it, Philip Pullman is interesting because in the, the the world that he writes, it's his prose is excellent. I really love reading his work, um, and it's it's such a high standard, um, which I think is is fascinating. In the middle of a lot of stories like that, he's kind of the. I think, I think sometimes people parallel him and C.S. Lewis a bit. Yes. Yeah. Which is interesting to me. I don't. I don't know. I think if I, go it, there. I think it makes sense because there's, there's definitely messaging going on in the book, yeah. and it's sort of similar. It's very di- different, the religious and anti-religious yeah. themes. But they're both they're both trudging a message through the book, and I f- and I feel like uh, Pullman does it in the same sort of way as right. you know it. 
you yeah. know that there's something behind the book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Will, any reason you didn't read it? Did you just miss the boat on it? I've, no, I've got it. Yep. I bought the Book of Dust when I was in the US. I got right. a signed okay. hardcover. Yep. So Ooh. I'm like, oh. Yeah, and yeah. then I went and got hardcovers of the other three. So I've got to just read them. Do you? Yeah. Can I just ask? This is very much an aside. Do you prefer hardcovers? I, I personally No, but they, do, they look pretty. So I, I, love, I love a good I hardcover on a shelf. No? No, I, it's not convenient to no, take with that's you. The thing. That's, that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I guess I don't tend to like if I'm buying a book, I don't tend to be trudging it around with me so yeah. much. I do. I use Kindle for that more, but yeah, it's just me. It's okay. That's fair. Anyway, sorry. Sidebar. Mm-hmm. No, no. I think I think that's a that's a good one. So yeah, media for me very much. Uh, El Camino. Uh, it was good. And then I watched The Laundromat on Netflix. Mm. Uh, that was a. Oof. <sighs> It's a it's a film with a message. It's a film that's talking. Oh, is that the horrible Meryl, Meryl Streep Street one? Uh, shell companies, you know the the whole insurance fraud thing. It's a very fourth y kind of film, oh, yeah. uh, not dissimilar to to The Big Short. Yeah, um, right. I loved The Big Short. I thought it was a really good film. I enjoyed it. Um, it's it's rough, uh, but it was well made and it's yeah. filmic. Mm. This. Really? Oh yeah, it's oh. really rough, and the ending is. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard things that make me want to see it. You should see it because I think that's just a level of. I, I mean, like you can't disagree with the statements made in the in. The, it's not about the mm. message that I dislike. Mm-hmm. It's heavy-handed. It's so heavy-handed. Right. So heavy-handed. It's nothing like a show that has a meaning has it has a meaning and really wants you to know it. Um, up yeah, front, like. Feel a bit like See, the big shot was talking about an event that happened, yeah. right? It, it was talking about the the, the building blocks. Uh, so, what's, so, is this on the Panama Papers? Yes. Oh. Isn't that just like there are offshore accounts? Yep. Right. Well, and, how is that a movie? And the global system is broken or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's that. So, it was very much, you know, like, you know, the global system is broken and... Someone bought the film rights to the Panama Papers? And then they were like, oh, you know, it's <laughs> not just overseas, it's in America because America does no. this too within its own really? country and America's the problem as well. And I was like, I, we know that though. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what are you saying here that's... Are there people who need to hear that hearing it as well? I don't think so. Yeah, it's a very... Oh, and they already know. They're like, yeah, we know. Look, it feels self-indulgent. Could, have, okay. could it have been a 10-minute YouTube explainer? Yes. With a trailer that it's using. Yeah, Meryl Streep could have just talked about it, and I would have been more interested in it than mm. watching the film. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It was really disappointing, and it but left a it bad... But is it cinema? Oh. Oh. Wow. Will spoiling the topic. No. Here we Look, go. this is called <laughs> seeding the theme. Seeding the theme. Good writers will do this in their fiction. Really? You will learn this one day. Oh. Where? <laughs> no, 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 we won't. No, no we won't. No, I won't. <laughs> don't cackle so loud there, Ian. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have your I manuscript don't. in my inbox. <laughs> <Let> me, <laughs> I might read it one day. Uh, <laughs> Only he was kidding. It's okay. We don't write literature, so it's that's fine. right. Yeah, we're, we're uh, good. You can just so put a can down the road. It's true. We might as well just go there, <laughs> shall we? Uh, we've we've opened Pandora's box. So yes, mm. um, that little sneaky line. Uh, Martin Scorsese wrote a op-ed in the New York Times. Uh, if you haven't read it, I think it's worth reading. I think it's mm. it's a very well thought out piece, very well written. I think he misses a few points in order to make some. Mm-hmm. But I think that's fair because I think... That's, what he, that's making arguments Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think he's being entirely fair as to why he's saying it. He's talking about the reason and it's great. I think you should read it. I feel like people who look at that and be like, well, he's hating on media I like, 
just mm-hmm. you know read it and try and get a different opinion. Um, mm. It's it's very good, and I don't think anyone can be like, oh, Martin Scorsese makes bad movies. Um, <laughs> I tend to fall on the idea of I like filmmakers that like mm. genre as well as um, mm-hmm. cinema, mm. like uh, Jodorowsky. Mm. Um, uh, uh, the director made Drive uh, and um, Pusher. What's what's his mm. name? Uh, I'm gonna mind blank on you too, Joel. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Like Werner Herzog. He's he's very much an avant-garde filmmaker, but he mm-hmm. likes getting involved with yeah. you know what he considers to be genre like silly yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Winding Ref. That's yeah. right. Uh, Danish filmmaker. Yep. I like their approach um, to this, but I still mm. like this op-ed quite yeah. a lot. So I thought instead of talking about that, because I don't mm. think there's really much to talk no, about. No, I really think we need to just keep talking about this issue over and over again. Exactly, and over we just need again. to keep regurgitating it like there's anything else to yeah. be made. I feel well, like now they've gone back and found. Uh, now I've mental blanked. Uh, the guy who wrote The Watchmen, Alan. Yes. Oh, Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Yep. His comments from like five yeah. years ago mm. saying he didn't like superhero movies. Which is and why they he removed his they, name from. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. They brought those comments back and it took the internet a few hours to realise, hey, this is a very old piece, yes. but they tried to tie it in with the Scorsese sure. thing. Yeah. Which, you know, it's all just publicity for the Irishman. So even yeah, if great. you're angry at him, you're talking about him, which is yep. like, come on, that's what John Marza did to promote his new Trash Fire book. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, please keep that in because I that we, was we, not... Yeah, we don't edit. I mean, yeah, that, that, that stays was, in here forever. Was, I, I got to page 12 and by then he had really had lots of things to say about single mothers. And by then I'm just like, no, you can keep it. But um, I think clarifying his comments was yeah. an important thing. I think yeah. Scorsese didn't just like yeah. say something that was, you know, oh, it might have been a misstep on a press tour. He went back and he, and he wrote something was, that I think people should read. And it was thoughtful. It was and great. It was somebody's opinion. And look... When people disagree with you, mm. that is not an attack on you. It yes. does not make you love your thing any less mm. unless they make a comment that you agree with. Yeah. In which case it is called growth yeah. and maturity. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's the thing. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Marvel movies. Yeah. I've fallen asleep in many of them. Yep. And I think that there is so much potential in them and their ideas, but it is constantly squandered. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. certainly if you were Martin Scorsese <laughs> and you were watching those films, my big thing is he has opinions on these films without having seen them. Yes. Which mm. is my, which uh, yeah. is like, go be a YouTuber, Martin. Yeah, like that's, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the part where, yeah. I, where I struggle that's, with but Martin, when you listen are, I'll be subscribing yeah, yeah. whereas his points are cogent right yeah. mm. but the thing is it's really funny that he hasn't seen them but he's right like yeah. on a lot of things yep look it's I'm really surprised that Marvel has made what 20 something films and yet what maybe one or two of them are on par with the first Incredibles film <laughs> well mm. the Incredibles is a high bar it's good. Well, that's it. It's good, well, it's good cinema. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's yeah. it's coherent. The politics of it yeah. are a bit iffy if you come at it from a weird perspective. Um, but 
at the same time, it all ties together in a really great way. Like you look at something like Civil War, which was like the big mm. tentpole, yeah. but there was no reason for them to be fighting. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so you just gave me CGI. You gave me these fight sequences where the actors admitted, hey, we shot this fight sequence, but they didn't know what I was fighting at the time. Mm. So I was just punching and they were going to make it up in editing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And yeah. that's not... That's not a film. Yep. You don't have a strong script that you have laboured over and you can't, on these Hollywood timelines, yep. mm. create something that you've really thought o- about and really put your heart and soul into and that have said something. With that you know. said, though, I think as a defence, I would mm. say that Infinity War and Endgame are very good films and not even just because they stand on their own, because they don't. They mm-hmm. don't actually stand on their own mm-hmm. and that is the, the downside of it being considered a standalone film. Yeah. You have to have this catalog to appreciate it, which is the iffy part of that film. But I still think they're very, very good pieces of filmmaking. Cinema, I'm not sure. Hmm. I think they're great entertainment. Hmm. But Hmm. yeah, I I think it's a discussion that's interesting. But at the same time, you know, it's a we've had it. We've talked about this. You Hmm. can enjoy something, but still admit to yourself that it is not quite worthy. Yeah. Yeah, mm. if that makes sense. Like, for me, I'm the biggest diehard Kylie Minogue fan. <laughs> yeah. But I know on some <laughs> albums, her yeah. voice is a little thin. Yeah. Right. And sometimes wow. her lyrics, not the greatest. Yeah. There are some songs that completely cut through me and I feel things. Yeah. But I'm not going to sit there and go, you know what? I'm going to collect all the greatest singer-songwriter vocalists. Yeah. And, mm. you know, we'll start with Whitney and then we will follow up with Kylie. Yeah, like, yeah, you're, yeah. you're not going to do sure. it. Yeah. So, it's just acknowledging that somebody having a different opinion to you is not an attack on your opinion. Yeah. Um, and also acknowledging that someone not thinking something is worthy. Coming at it from Martin Scorsese's perspective, like, if anyone is going to mm. tell you that yes. your piece of film exactly. is not worthy... Yeah. <laughs> I think Martin yeah. has earned the right to have that exactly. opinion. And I feel like a lot of the directors who have made Marvel movies respond with that saying, yeah, I respect what he says because he's Martin Scorsese. He's earned the right. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting piece. Go and read it. So it's not the topic. That's not what we're, what we're talking about. We're mm. using that as a framework to talk about literature. Mm-hmm. And specifically, so, Will, you write YA, you write mm-hmm. middle grade and that genre or genres and age groups and mm-hmm. reading groups, um, they've had a lot of flack yep. uh, from the literature crowd being not worthy, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about this, break this down yep. from a few levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can you write something? And th- there's a line, and, I, and I'm just going to read this quote, and then yep. we, can, we can break mm-hmm. this down. But basically, yep. what he, in the op-ed... Um, he says, what's not there is revelation, mystery, or genuine emotional danger. Nothing is at risk. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about risk in yep. books. Mm. Um, if you write a genre book, mm-hmm. um, what's at risk? If, you, if you're obeying conventions, if you're doing things that the audience expects and wants, mm-hmm. what, where's the risk? Look, I will come back to that with Mm. the highest form of literature is literary fiction, but Mm. that is a genre in itself that has its own conventions, you know, usually 700 similes per page. Um, (laughs) And that's, but that's okay. I I don't really stand by Martin's sort of definition of what Mm. art is. I think it is, I don't think you can make a checklist. It is something that 
I think if you removed your affinity with the Marvel characters, not to go back to Marvel, but if you mm. removed your affinity to and the history of it and what those characters meant yeah. and just watched those movies as your introduction to those characters, mm. you would be like, this is okay, but a bit flat. Yeah. Like I, Iron Man was my introdu- introduction to Iron Man. I thought, okay, mm. that's pretty good. Mm. But then I watched Iron Man 2, which was <laughs> the, my, and I was like, oh, what the hell is yes, this? Yeah. So I had nothing else backing it up. And yep. then recently I watched the end of Iron Man 3 mm. with like the voiceover and it's like, oh, I've learned to be me. It's very and it was just like, oh, what the shit oh, is yeah, this? Yeah, it was made in a different era kind of a thing. It, uh, Felt really I learned bad. looking back upon the Marvel canon that I had missed Iron Man 3 somehow. So I was like, okay. I, and I feel like I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. yeah. It's... I don't think there is a checklist that you okay. can sort of hit mm. and say, this is what makes this art. It is something, the piece has to stand alone. Mm. There has to be tension and character motivations in every scene. It mm. can't just be... What do you mean by that? By uh, like, I, I want every character to have status and right. different, and I want to see the interplay of that status. Right, okay. yep. Like something that the first Guardians of the Galaxy film did quite well was you saw the interplay of their status. I yep. thought that was really yeah, interesting. True. And then watching, everyone's like, oh, the second one is better. But yeah. I think the second one relies on your understanding of the comics more yeah. because me watching the second one, I was like, what is this cluster? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. This feels way for thin. Yeah. And the actual fun, chaotic energy of the first film is gone. And two, you're riffing on the Empire Strikes Back split everyone up model, <laughs> yeah. which doesn't work in every middle part of a trilogy. Yep. So, um, little things like that. Like, I want to see every scene, I want the characters to come in wanting something, and I want those wants to affect the way that they interact. But I think you're just describing good writing in that yeah. sense, right? So, But that's it. if you have good writing, then it's art. Yeah. And maybe it's that in certain... So this comes back to the commercial realities mm. of, of the world in both yeah. books, publishing, and in movies. The fact is that sales drive you know, what gets published, what gets mm-hmm. put out there, what gets made, and you, you get a pass sometimes because they know it's going to make money. This is why the, the remakes are constantly just what we see yep. in, in movies, literally all over, you know, mm. everything's a remake because it has a baseline of 100 million mm. going to come in or whatever. It's like, you know, when you, when you know that you're going to get your next, I don't know, Clive Custler or whatever, whatever, you know, novel that's written once a year coming out in October. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, no. you what, get about a pass. Those, what about those novels that the author is under pressure, not just mm. from, say, publishers, but also mm. audience expectation? Yeah. They're there to deliver a product. Mm. Is that product can you know? And obviously the answer is yes, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But at which line, you know, uh, time pressures, things like that. For instance, if I were to give you uh, X amount of money, right, an infinite yep. amount of money to spend enough time to write your next book, mm-hmm. whatever that is, mm. that inevitably is going to be a very, very strong work, right? Mm-hmm. If I gave you two months to write a book, but I gave you an X amount of money mm-hmm. to write the same book, that's basically what I'm asking. Right? Yeah. So there's balances and things that perhaps aren't supported by publishers, right? Just because of the demand. Yeah. Mm. But look, and you're looking at the churn of yeah. these films and it's like... It churn's the word, yeah. I write a book yeah. and then I realize what it's about and I take yeah. another year to rewrite it and then another yeah. year to rewrite it. The next book I have to write in the space of a month and then yeah. have it published within seven months after yeah. that first draft, yeah. which is the odds of that being my best work, that's difficult. Mm. So I have stripped everything else out of my life to try to make that work. And this is mm. my first sort of 
because, you know, to be successful in YA especially, your audience has to remember you. So you have to be like Rihanna in the beginning of her career. There's a single yep. every three months <laughs> yeah, and you're yeah, not going to yeah. forget about her until she's built up that fan base yeah. and you can you can ask when is the next Rihanna single. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like no one's asking when is the next Will Kostakis book. <laughs> so I have to keep giving them books until they want yeah. it. But to do that is you... The faster you write, you sacrifice quality a little bit because I know that there are some things I only came up with because I spent three months living in an idea or three years living in an idea Mm. where I've accepted that that's not going to happen with this book and I'm approaching the book in that way with those time constraints and been like, this is it. This is the shape of it. I need to Mm. make it this the best I possibly can. Mm. But... I think there are other demands in a Marvel movie. Like I'm sure there are like there are contracts in the Fast and Furious movies where you know the Rock can't look weaker than Jason Statham or whatever, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. they're all those. I'm sure there are contracts like that where you know Scarlett Johansson needs a certain number of you know mm. butt close-ups and hair flicks <laughs> in every film. <laughs> like I'm sure there is yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that happening. Sure, yeah. yeah, and I'm sure that. Uh, What's mm. the Chris Evans has to do his biceps at least yeah, like three or four times in a film? Like a gratuitous yeah. bicep shot needs yeah. to be there. Yeah. And I'm sure that's in his contract. Mm. Right? Yeah. And then when you're trying to piece together all of that, you have all this talent. I don't think you can tell a great story with 30 characters in it. Mm. Like you can't. And when they're all stars and you have to do them all justice, they all end up standing around. Like yeah, yeah, you yeah. said you liked Endgame and. Uh, there's uh, a lot of set piece moments, though. I, yeah, of course. I fell asleep in uh, what was it, Infinity War, and it was right. just. And whenever I woke up, they were just standing around talking exposition at each other, <laughs> which um, great if that's your kind of movie, <laughs> but it wasn't for me. Sure. So yeah. yeah, I think the if you think about you know what um, t- time to rest is probably something that a lot of people starting out in writing wouldn't understand. Think You'd think coming into writing mm. that the writing is the most important thing, yeah. but actually no. much like a good, uh, something you've, you know, a, a nice steak yeah. or something, not that I'm a massive steak fan, uh, you know, you let it rest mm-hmm. once it's done because if you don't let it rest, you haven't got time for everyone to kind of soak in. This is a way overplayed metaphor. Anyway, the I like point it. I don't think it quite I, I, works because you want to rest before you write, but the cooking has come... No, no, once you finish it, you know you say you finish a piece and you know yeah. what you've got. You're right. Looking back on it, you know what you've got. It doesn't quite work. You're right. But let's move on because we've spent too much time on this meat topic. Yeah. Uh, the, the, um, the, the thing about, say, a, an excellent example of TV writing, yeah. Vince Gilligan. I remember Joel and I went to hear him speak yeah. when he was here in Melbourne and he was talking about how they spent, was it a week in the writer's room? It just, was, yeah. just literally yeah. only a week only on the structure of each episode. Mm-hmm. And then they would go off and write it. They gave it time to breathe. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. not the reality for them. Yeah. Not the reality. And I remember we were in a room. It was professional um, t- television writers mm-hmm. for the most part and s- screenwriters. And, and you yeah, just don't exactly people. know why we were there. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah we, we were just there <laughs> because, mm-hmm. hey, we could make it. And yeah. the public, so- public one was sold out. Yeah. Um, and I remember people, people, you could hear the kind of laughs of people like, if only we had that kind of time. You know, mm-hmm. to be able to, to Yeah, do especially that. in the yeah. relationship to Australian television, yeah. right? Where, where there's yeah. no time. 
Yeah. You have to do the You're constraints. Smash that out, you know. Yeah. I look at great quality stuff that's come out of Australian television and, like, I think about um, The Family Law yeah. and that really nails it, you know. Yeah. Um, because, I, and I think that's because of, you know, Ben's writing I think, yeah, strong. I, yeah, I was about mm. to say it has a very clear creative direction yeah. from, mm. a, like, a singular creative, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then working with the writer's room and then making that thing. It's, it's a little I different, I think. you find, maybe this is a way to look at it, and I, I know we're not trying to mar- labour on Marvel, but there are moments in there which really work for me. There are moments that there may be the whole piece mm. isn't going to work. Like, you're always going to end up fighting something that isn't humans so that you can kill a whole bunch of them so we can still get our M rating. Like, that's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. So anytime you see that, you're like, well, we know they're going to turn into mutants. Um and so, like, there's all those things which are, which are happening, which you're trying to squeeze something between. I think there are chances in there for things to be good, chances yeah. for things to really shine through. Um, I, I, re- I really enjoyed the Marvel movies for what they were, but I think I set my expectations according, like, accordingly. Like, you know, when popcorn I... Popcorn um, entertainment, yeah. Popcorn entertainment. And that's why I get surprised when, I, when if something moves me a bit, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's, I'm really happy with that. Yeah. Whereas I'm not going in... Scorsese's got the right to say this stuff. When it comes to, to books... I guess it's a, there are, there are different things. And when you're reading through something, if it's not shining, you kind of, your attention can get lost and maybe yeah. you miss something. I, don't know. Yeah. I think, so let's go to the publishers, right? Yeah. Let, let's talk about that idea of giving you a deadline, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You have a deadline yeah. to write something. Yeah. Um, that's changed a lot. Uh, 50 uh, plus years ago, that's not necessarily the reality, right? Yeah. Uh, you have lots of structural editors that'll work on your book for, mm. for years, like some mm-hmm. of the, the Western canon of literature. You know, some yeah. of the great classics took years and years and years of editors to refine what was an unreadable mess yeah. into mm. something that's readable. Exactly. And that doesn't happen anymore. And I also think that there was an expectation in the past, or at least this may be me romanticizing it, but Mm. that books would last longer than five years. Yeah. Mm. And books had to be, have that sort of textual unity and sort of survive scrutiny for so long. Mm. And still those books, a lot of those books fail by our perspectives now, but because we revere them in the canon, we sort of forgive a lot of racism. Um, But there's a lot that survives because it's genuinely good stuff, right? Because editors have labored over that. It's like Gertrude Stein. I keep talking about that editor. She's amazing. And she made these writers, but you don't necessarily have that. You don't. It's that it's the, the churn Mm. and it's the, but that's what we celebrate. There may be, you may write, you may write something really great and you may luck out and get, Mm the big buzz from all the booksellers and yeah. in-house and actually get a newspaper to yeah. do a feature on you or yeah. get featured on TV um, and push and get that push. And mm. this book that you labored over is loved, but at the same time you may labor over something and it may sink like an absolute stone. Yep. And so the, it's not the commercial imperative isn't there where quality doesn't rise to the top. Yeah. And that's the and, and it also gets exacerbated by self-publishing for all of the obvious foibles of it. The biggest issue that self-publishing, I think, quality. continues is the quality issue because it is a complete churn and it comes There's back no to curation, much like YouTube yeah. algorithms, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are buying stuff. They're seeing in your recommended items, you're seeing this book. Oh, let's go check that out. You know, like it, there's, the, it rewards you for putting out the next story yeah. and just slapping it out there and be like, yep, great, it's done. Move on to the next one. So, I mean, the, I think the margin of error is also slimmer as well because mm-hmm. a lot of that, that middle kind of band of authors who might have been kept yeah. in a publishing house, that's kind of been swept away. So you've got yeah. your headliners and you've got your new talent and then yeah. in the and middle... That's it. The, the mid-list isn't... 
yeah, it's not supported as much as it used to be. And there's a lot of data coming out that it's just not. And But the thing is, we've got, in Australia, we have something called sale and return. Mm. Where, yeah, for those that yeah, don't know, like it's if your book doesn't sell mm. in a bookstore, it can be returned to the publisher. Yep. No cost incurred to the bookseller. So, there isn't that impetus to mm. sell things. Which, yep. you know, when I worked at McDonald's mm. and we had ordered 12 bottles of milk, yep. you know what? If we didn't sell those 12 bottles of yeah. milk, yeah, yeah, they yeah. went off yeah. and that mm. was a cost. And it was our imperative to figure out, you know what? We asked Hard everyone, would yeah. you like milk in your coffee? Yeah. yeah. And now I'm not advocating making the job harder for booksellers. Mm. But, but it, it is, is, but is that it does level, affect yeah. the dynamics of it where there is no risk to... It's great yeah. because booksellers can take on books mm. that they otherwise wouldn't have. So that's yeah. a benefit yeah, of, course. of sale and return. Risky stuff. Yeah. yeah? But at the same time, it's like, okay, I took on this book. No one bought it. I can send it back. Yeah. So, I like, in my head, the ideal model is somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, where, like, for new authors, yes, sale and return. But I think once people are established, then mm. maybe... Which is, which is what a lot of the problem comes back to, like, short, short story anthologies. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really difficult to sell. Yeah. Uh, poetry. All mm-hmm. of these things get knocked down the list. Yeah. And then, so the data shows that, well, they're not selling, so they don't necessarily get pushed as much, mm-hmm. which means they don't get published as much. Yeah. But it was, you know how we're talking about algorithms now? I was talking to a Mm. bookseller of a book chain and they were talking to me about, hey, look, we had a right-wing autobiography that did really, really well in Mm. one of our stores. And so the algorithm brought in more of those kind of books and the algorithm was doing the buying. Yeah, right. Oh, interesting. Right. Which, you wow. know... <laughs> that, that's uh, interesting cause it's the end times. Well, data... Yeah, that's right. Well, here's the barcode on my, my wrist yeah. um, with 666. But the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the data can lie. And that's the thing mm-hmm. about interpreting data that an algorithm can't do to you. Like, I know in, in my day job in fundraising, I, I look at a lot of data and I know where the data comes from. And in this case, at least they were aware as well. They're like, well... You know, maybe a right-wing book sells well because it's a particular author who, um, you know, managed to get cut through, but there's a reason why their their views are right-wing, but people respect them for all this other stuff, so there it goes. Just because you sell, um, I don't know, a George W. Bush novel doesn't mean necessarily people are going to buy Trump. Yeah. I guess that's maybe a bit extreme. And that... And that goes to the whole supply and demand thing, which goes mm-hmm. back to the op-ed, right? He, yeah. He's basically saying that like people are buying something because yeah. you're giving it to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, is there a shift, right? So, uh, you know, again, ideal world, perfect scenario that there's no financial risk mm-hmm. to any publishing house mm. that they say, okay, we'll give authors more time yeah. to write. Would that just kill the publishing industry? No, I think there need to be less books released. Yeah. Mm. I think fewer books that booksellers have time to read Authors have time to breathe. And not only do you need the rest with an idea after you've finished writing, mm. the stake, yeah. you also yeah. need the rest between books. Yeah, oh, You yeah, need a, to yeah. breathe and yeah. refill the... There's a really great... Not to cross-promote and add another podcast, but if <laughs> you are an aspiring writer, Deadline City, mm-hmm. really wonderful. They talk about refilling the well before you start writing. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. that's where you, know, you sort of... The creative well, yeah. Yeah. There's a feeling when you when you finish something as well that you need that refreshing and, you, and some I mean I've I've found when I've finished a project I just want to go and I want to you know want to go and read I want to get into something really great yeah. I want to be want to be there I want to crawl into a hole and die so <laughs> I want to know 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> I get that. I, yeah. I just, I guess for me, I just want to, I want to kind of imbibe things. And I, I personally have found a lot of inspiration in travel or in changing my environments. Mm-hmm. You know, those things are really important. And there's, there are limits to that. I mean, the, the pressure, and I think about um, some of the really classic books that people have written over the course of 10 years, and then it's got published, and then it's always the case that you know that within 18 months, they're going to have to have that next one yeah. on the shelf. And mm-hmm. unless that's well-lined, even if it's well-lined up, even if you've planned the whole yeah, thing, when you, still... when you finish that second book, you might look at it and go, oh, well, that isn't what I thought it would be. Oh, but I've got to get it in. But and I... suddenly you got the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, and I think... <laughs> woof. Uh... But I think that's also... It had a deadline. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> the look. But she missed the I deadline. For, she, missed, she missed the deadline for Order of the Phoenix. The tent. Yeah. So it's got nothing... Look, I don't mind Deathly Hallows. There are, <laughs> All right, here we go. Deathly Let's Hallows go. is more... Look. It's okay. I'm not it's saying it's It's more bad. complete than... Um, I find Order of the Phoenix just faffs around and needed a really good editor. I thoroughly enjoyed the first third of that before it started. Sorry. I'm just ah. gonna I'm just gonna leave and, and I'm gonna let you. Half Blood uh, Prince continue. is fascinating because Half Blood yep. Prince was the original title for Chamber of Secrets, really, which makes sense because it's like, wait, was she gonna tell us about Horcruxes in book two? Which oh. is fascinating because it shows you that yeah, when you think about Half Blood Prince, the mm. mystery is really half baked and it yeah. the book doesn't really go anywhere, and that's because all it does is justify book two. So it was right. meant to be part of book two, but that would have bloated book two completely. Yeah. So it's this really weird mm. sort of thing. So, like, I'm looking <laughs> at that, but look, analysis. in terms of... <laughs> That's in, good. I didn't think I like it. In terms yeah. of Harry Potter, yeah. J.K. Rowling has forgotten what she's good at in terms of the Harry Potter <laughs> yeah. series, which mm. is restricted domain. Yes. So now yeah, that we're yeah, going that was... to different cities and opening it up is yeah. like... Oh, and it, it should be a mystery. It, yeah, it should be a like mystery, yeah. restricted yeah. domain mystery, and the actual adventure stuff is never actually fun because then you're thinking about all the contradictions of the magical system and it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be that constrained world. You're right. I remember when they... When you realise in Deathly Hallows, oh, they're not going to be in the constricted, uh, term-bound thing. Yep. It feels like the guard, like it's like taking the trainer wheels off the bike, but, mm. and you weren't expecting it. You're like, oh, yeah. okay, this is happening. Um, <laughs> it's no. Breath of the Wild with none of the expertise. Ooh, hey, no, That's I actually quite good. like. I like that. I actually yeah. quite like Deathly Hallows. I yeah. don't mind the quiet stuff. I hate the epilogue. It's yeah, yeah. The epilogue mm. was interesting because I, I think the theory was that she was well. I mean. I'm trying to remember if, if J.K. Rowling said that she was going to finish it differently. She kept. She said that the final word was scar, and then the final word wasn't scar. Yeah. Um, but I read it going. She's like, I put the epilogue in so that we wouldn't have any more books and no more stories. But I read it thinking this is a launch pad, and then haha, it was a yeah. launch pad. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I I think about the the whole like the, for obviously for plotting and stuff like that, editing. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Interesting with Deathly Hallows. It just it didn't. The tenth thing just got to me after a didn't while. But I still it, devoured no. the book, um, and and you know thoroughly enjoyed the series. I guess in the end, the psychological effects of a deadline can be quite profound mm-hmm. and can affect the quality of something. Of course, it, there yeah, are moments in so many things that I love. You can just see, like TV shows, classic example, they get given, you know, Deadwood, yeah. uh, Rome, mm. you know, a lot of HBO shows have this problem, apparently. Um, but there's also one more thing, and let, let, let's, let's, yeah, but just go, quickly, go for it. flip yeah. side with deadlines is I had a mm. deadline for the sidekicks, mm. and so I'd planned to write 10,000 words, and then I wrote a scene, yeah. and I was like, oh my God, no, this is the <laughs> ending, and I deleted, and I just didn't write the rest, and I submitted. So it helped you structure it, you mean? It yeah, actually, right. and it was mm. like the most powerful way to end the book. Right. right. So that yeah. was a complete accident, and mm. not what I'd intended. Sure. So sometimes deadlines can be inspiring, but it's usually, 
you're really stressed and you hate it's your like the wrong kind of deadline right it's mm. like instead of setting a deadline for yourself yeah. and then working towards it it's a it's an artificial deadline i guess mm. where it's a publication date it's like pushing you to do something well that's the thing if i've got i've got a book coming out August next year. Yeah, so maybe. first draft needs to be done December yep. so that I can get it back over Christmas so to no work on so I can work yeah. on it during the Christmas break. Mm. So then when everyone comes back from publishing holidays, they've got my book on their desk and then they can work on it, do a draft, give it back to me mm. and we send it back and forth a few times. And so there's a series of deadlines. So yeah. you miss one. So yeah. you have one uncreative week. Eesh. If I have one uncreative week, I am stuffed. Yeah. See that that in itself though is a hell of a statement. Like just, yeah. just I mean, I'm not in, yeah, no. I just mean like when you think about that, a week, a week can go by so easily for me. <laughs> I know, yeah, lots of too. weeks, lots of weeks have gone by. Yeah, and I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's the thing though. It's a, it's a necessary, and I get the deadlines. And you're right. It's it's, it's back and back and back, and you can see mm-hmm. why everything pushes things out. But there are times when it's just I'm I'm not a big fan of waiting for the muse. I, I've mm. always called that out. But I I know that there are yeah. times when you just. But the thing was, if I had started this and managed mm. my time properly, I would not be under this pressure now. But I had an idea two weeks ago because I'd been sitting and my subconscious was doing the work. That's it. Yeah. And that's you can call it yeah, muse. I can call it I, subconscious. I and sometimes something yep. happens and Agreed. everything clicks in your head. And if I'd been writing, I would have thrown it all out. Yeah, you would said no. I'm already doing this. Yeah, so yeah. you set this point up perfectly. So let's mm-hmm. end on this and we'll yeah. go around the table and try and figure this out. But correct me if I'm wrong. And this mm-hmm. might be a romanticization about the mm-hmm. field, right? Yeah. But is it, and maybe this is a segue to YouTube, I guess, but people have looked at, oh, you know, writers and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, Will Kostak has published a book at this age and I yeah. want to be a writer and I want to make writing yeah. my career and all this sort of stuff. Have we shifted the dynamic a bit too skewed where instead of, I want to create something of quote unquote worth, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I want to make a career for myself. Yeah. I want to do something that I can survive off because I love writing. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm not saying that's wrong. But is it, you know, and, and this goes back to the history of, of literature being a very aristocratic, you don't mm-hmm. have a job, but you can spend your entire life writing mm. one magnum opus and you're good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no pressure. Um, because now it's different. We don't have that kind of life. And the yeah. people who are writing are often not those kinds of people. Yeah. We have a job mentality to writing, whereas we, mm-hmm. we're losing the, the, the space, the quiet spaces of taking months and traveling and thinking and working. Yeah. Mm. I think, yes, I think the idea of treating it like a job does affect it. But if I'd still treat it like a job if I was writing a book every three years. Sure. If that yeah. makes sense. Like mm. it's, you know. I'm, but you have space, right? Yeah. You yeah. Have, you'd have space. But the thing is, that's not how the industry works. You need to, especially, like my career will be very different if I ever have that big break Mm. and everyone suddenly knows my name. Mm, And then I can disappear for two years and come back and I still have that name recognition. Of course. The Thomas Harris effect. Yeah. Yeah. I I walk into a room and nobody knows who I am. Two Mm. or three people will put up their hands in a room of 300, which is great because I can sort of build... But I'm still, I'm 11 years into my career, you know, five books in. And, and I'm, it's a career. I'm yeah. starting from scratch yeah. every single time I release a book because I've waited two or three years between each book. Mm. So this is, while I'm under an insane amount of pressure for this book, um, it, it's something that I have to do 
if I want to try change that. Mm. Mm. And look, the ideal world is to write two books and then sell one and then you can release the yeah. next one the mm. following year and you've done it. But that's, you know, you want to eat. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ian? Yeah, I mean, you, there, there's there's a lot of romanticising. People always... I, I still think... I always come back to a, a seminal article I read early on uh, when I was just getting into writing, which was talking about the, rom- the romanticization of, of writing and how you know there were these authors. You think about the the person in the in the in the old hotel in Europe, you know, sitting yeah, around smoking a the cigarette, peeling, their the typewriter, peeling, uh, paint on the peeling walls. Paint. Well, you know why? It's because Europe was in ruins. It cost nothing to stay there. Of course, they were there yeah. post World War II. There's a brilliant like, article on that. that it, it, it is brilliant. And um, and that's the thing. I come back like they didn't have any money. They were yeah. just getting by skin of their teeth, these writers who were skipping around Europe in the ruins of World War II. Yeah. You know? So in that sense, there's, there's always sure. been, there'll always be those who've written these incredible pieces because they've been empa- empowered by money or circumstance where they didn't have to have a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and or, or that they're just that good that they can do a Thomas Harris and re- release a book once every 70 years. You know, whatever that may be. And that goes back to the name, right? That Will was saying, like, the, and is that unhealthy in one stage uh, to think about name like well it's brand. would you say it's like well and that the argument made is like well you're going for fame but in your career it's like well you want the space to be able mm. to create great work I just make a YouTube name for yourself I say <laughs> just slag off you know whatever's coming out exactly. that's the thing my most famous YouTube video uh, yeah. Yeah. is a 2000 yep. viewed I hated Harry Potter and the Cursed Child script Right, and that was it, and it was so easy. Every other video mm. that I have laboured over and spent hours editing, no, my low quality cam, yeah, yeah, yeah. shot video of me in a beard in a really poorly lit room, going, mm. "What the hell is wrong with this?" and just ranting, yeah, that was what worked, and that's the thing. If that's how I'm going to get famous, I don't want to get famous yeah, that way. That's right, and if you did, you'd be tied to it forever. That's yeah, that's your brand. brand. That's your yeah, brand. That's who you there are. You go. Dishing it out. All right, well, let's end on that a little bit dour note, but there yeah. you go. Um, I, think, I think there is a lot of uh, romanticization, but I think mm. having a romanticization about your art and yeah. what you're writing is also good. You yeah. know, there's a, yeah, yeah. Because we are creating art. All right, well, let's, let's, let's end it on a really positive note. If you have an author that you admire that is churning out books, they're probably under stress. Mm. So, Probably losing weight, not mm. looking that I'm great. I'm not losing weight. Uh, <laughs> what can you do to make their lives a little easier? Yeah. Support their books. Christmas is coming up. Mm. Purchase their books for your friends. Email them to let them know, even if they wrote something you weren't wild on, if mm. there was one scene in it that really spoke to you, mm. let them know. If there's something that shaped one small part of your life, let them know because those emails, they help. Those messages mm. of positivity, like I get tagged in enough negative stuff, <laughs> like the little positive stuff really, they help. And you do that, you are making it a little easier for them to slow down. Mm. And you are building a conversation around them that they don't have to do. Yeah. So mm. if you want them to do 
Yeah, I'm just going to shut up now. That's good. That's yeah. good. <laughs> that, that was a that like was it. a nice positive note. Why don't you tell us, Will, where people can find you, your Twitter, what you've got coming out, mm. and I go, go uh, live uh, under a bridge. Uh, <laughs> if you come and bring your family, I will eat your uh, smallest child, and that will be the toll that you pay. No, nice. uh, my name is Will Kostakis. I write young adult fiction. My latest novel is called Monuments. Uh, it's basically Legend of Zelda set in Sydney now, uh, where three teenagers skip school to find the ancient gods that are buried under different Sydney high schools and then accidentally bring about the end of the world. Uh, and I also write contemporary fiction, uh, The First Third and The Sidekicks are the ones I'm the most known for. But if you want to read a train wreck, my first novel is Loathing Lola, and you can very much tell that was written by a 17-year-old boy. Make of that what you will. There you go. Brilliant. Ian, where can people find you? What have you got coming up? Just look for the cat gifs on or all my will famous... Will certainly um, will be. They're gifs. <laughs> Thank oh, you wow. very we much. Into that. Well, he's wrong. No, well, they're wrong. It's so that. wrong. It's um, and you can find me on Twitter at IHLaking or look for that famous Tumblr post that goes around the piece. That's true. There That's is true. that thing. I remember seeing it. There you go. Fantastic. All right. Well, you can find The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au. On Twitter, it's at specficvic. Uh, Will was at Speculate this year, was it this, yep, year? this year? Yes, and it was great. He is also part of a video, I think, uh, mm. that went out, and people liked it, so you should check that out. Uh, there was a newsletter that came out. Dion is officially on board, both on the podcast and at Speculate, so we look forward to having her on and seeing what we can produce. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.